Well, it's so good to see everybody. Happy Palm Sunday to you and your family, and I'm so glad you're here, and I just believe you've already been touched by the Lord. Amen? And uh, I want to announce that uh, Friday is Good Friday, and so we will have a special service online on Good Friday, and it will air all day long, so you'll be able to jump on and catch it at any time. Uh, I'll be bringing a special word, and the praise team is bringing a, spe a special praise set, so um, that'll be special service on Friday. Amen? But I'm going to get right into the word today. I have a lot of scriptures I want to go through. And, I, you know, I'm an exhorter teacher by nature, so I'm going to try to stay in teacher mode. I don't know if I can get away with it, but I'm going to try. But I really want to talk to you this morning about, um, we're going to talk about the cross because we're coming into celebrating, obviously, Jesus, our risen Savior. And I want to talk to you through scripture about the revelation of the covenant of the cross um, and the covenant of the blood of Jesus and, and show you the way the Old Testament used to bond to covenant and what Jesus did for us in the New Testament, amen, and just our risen Savior and, and coming into alignment with what the word of God God has to say, you know, I don't know what it is. Actually, hang on one second. I'm not really lined up yet. There we go. Yeah. My little OCD had to kick in. All right, there we go. I don't know what it is about our human nature, but there's something about doing the works of our flesh that makes us feel good. And you know, there's nothing wrong with doing the works of the flesh and of the kingdom, but it's so important that we realize it's not the works of the flesh that validate us as believers. And we can get caught up in what we do or what we don't do for the kingdom, whether in our personal relationship and our word time or all of those things, which are important, but when we come into Jesus, we lay it all down at the cross. And we have to have this revelation that when I came into Jesus and I asked him to forgive him of all the sins in my life and, and really come in, that those things remain at the cross. Amen. And you come into a new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. New covenant. And there was an old covenant that was okay. It worked, but it wasn't the design of God. That God had to send his son Jesus for the remission of blood and our sins, right? For the forgiveness of our sins so he can establish a new covenant. And we have to be very careful because as we love Jesus, we want to get in these things that we can do for God. You know, and they're wonderful to do things for God, but it has to come through the cross that if I don't feel like I, I'm loved by God, I'm still loved by God. If I don't feel like reading my Bible, I'm still loved by God. That I'm not ruled by my emotions. That if I'm going through hell, it's not based on all these rules and limitations. It's based on who I am in Christ Jesus and not the way that you see yourself. I told first service that if I based what I do for Jesus and how I feel, I would do this much for Jesus. Because guess what? I don't feel like reading my Bible all the time either. I don't feel like walking in the sanctuary and praying when the Holy Spirit is drawing me. There's many things that I don't feel like doing. And when all hell breaks loose against my life, I better know the covenant in which I stand and that revelation of my position in Christ Jesus. Otherwise, I'll try to go to the works of the flesh for it to be re revealed and restored instead of relying on the covenant of the cross in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we're going to look through some scriptures this morning in Hebrews chapter 9. And I love this. The book of Hebrews really defines the new covenant that we have through the cross. It's so powerful. Like, I literally could read the book to you, and it would be full of the new covenant. I'm not going to do that, so don't worry. But I am going to read a few scripture verses to you. But in the first part of this chapter 9, it talks about the, the earthly sanctuary. So in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, wherever they would go, they'd have to take the tabernacle with them. And when they would stop, they'd have to rebuild the tabernacle. 
tabernacle. It's incredible. The study of the tabernacle is so rich. But what we have to understand is the Old Testament and what, what they did in the Old Testament was symbolic of what was to come. It was never the main covenant. It was just the first covenant. And so they had to go through the acts of service. They had to sacrifice bulls and, and goats and rams or doves or whatever their sin was. So there was this working of the flesh to receive whatever momentarily forgiveness they could have because there was no covenant of forgiveness through the cross. And so as they would make their sacrifices, they could make that sacrifice and they'd walk away and have this sense of, oh, I did the right thing. You know, I feel good because I went to the tabernacle today. I did the law and what the law said to do. And because I did that, now I'm qualified to do whatever I can live in my life. And we have that same mentality today in the kingdom, even though we're in the new covenant. We feel like, oh, I went to church. Boy, I feel good about myself today. And is that good? Yes, that's wonderful. Oh, I really praise God at the altar today. That's awesome. But those are temporary things because you could walk to that car and get a phone call that could knock the wind out of you. And you better know the covenant that you have that's beyond this exterior behavior, right? I better know the covenant in the depths of my soul of what Jesus did at the cross so I know what I'm standing in in the place of victory. No matter what comes against me, no matter what I feel, I am standing on the rock of Jesus Christ and he is my sure foundation. It's not based on I better get to the church and do something or I better go make this sacrifice out in the world and do these labors. Those things are awesome, but they are simply works of the flesh and they are fleeting and they are temporary satisfaction. Amen. So that's what he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 9. And it goes into verse 6 and it's so powerful because when you're doing the works of the flesh, they are limited ability for God to move. Why? Because you're moving in the earthly realm and not in the supernatural realm God has called his kids to live in the new covenant. So you're limited in what God can do. So in verse 6 it says this, now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went in, the priests always went in the, to the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. So who could go into the tabernacle that was built by man? Only the priest. But verse 7, but into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, because in order for a, a remission of sin, there has to be the sacrifice of a blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sin committed in ignorance. So there was no conviction of the Holy Spirit yet. There was just, I need to do this works of the flesh, right, that was done in my ignorance, and now I am forgiven of that sin. Now what you see here is the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies once a year which is the presence of God, was the high priest. There was only one man, according to the first covenant, only one man could go into that holy of holies, and hopefully he remained alive. Because if there was any sin in his life, he fell dead in, in the presence of God. And that's why they had bells on the bottom of his robe. So if they didn't hear the clinging anymore, they had a rope tied to his leg. And they literally had to drag the high priest out because he wasn't worthy of the presence of God. And God said, I didn't create man for one man to go into my presence. If you go back to the beginning of Genesis, we were created for relationship with God. 
And because of sin, God had to create some kind of covenant to bring restoration, which was the process of an animal sacrifice, but it wasn't the design that God wanted, amen? So he had to send his son, Jesus, to die on that cross, shed his blood, there has to be the emission of blood, for the forgiveness of our sins. So when I come to Jesus, or when you come to Jesus in that moment where you have conviction and your heart is flooded that I need a Savior and I'm not perfect and I'm not there yet, but I know I need him in my life, you come into covenant of a spiritual eternity covenant and not an earthly covenant that is limited by your ability and how you feel. And isn't that good news? That I can wake up tomorrow no matter how I feel and I am still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I can wake up the next morning and have made a big mistake, but I am still the head and not the tail. And I'm still above and not beneath. Why? Because I don't live in the old law making sacrifices. I live in the new covenant that Jesus paid the price for me. Isn't that wonderful? And there is something good about giving to God, and we should. We serve in the kingdom. We, we build the kingdom by serving, but that is not based on our value to apply the covenant that you are to walk in as his kid. Every promise in the word of God is for every son and daughter. And the only reason why some people seem to walk in it is because they got a revelation that at the cross everything ended that day. And God perfected us and God got rid of our garbage, but we came to the cross just as I am. Here I am, God, in my ugly. Here I am in my past. Here I am in my mistakes. And Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, as long as you're breathing air, you're going to fall short. As long as you're breathing air, you're going to make a mistake. But you are still in the covenant as long as your heart is bent toward the cross and having Jesus the center of your life. Amen? So he said, I don't want you to look at this, er this earthly tabernacle anymore. I am presenting to you a new covenant that you are to live by. Okay, so where did I leave off? In verse, uh, did I finish verse 6? The high priest always went in the first part of the tabernacle performing its services. Okay, but in the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, but he offered for himself people's sins and committed, uh, committed ignorance. Okay, verse 8. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. See, there was a new covenant that needed to happen, but that covenant couldn't make way until the old covenant died and went away with. In other words, I can't look at the sacrifices I have to make and the rituals and the ceremonies, which we'll talk about in a minute. Those do not make me more spiritual. That has to die before I can really see the new covenant manifested in my life. If I keep looking back and doing the things that makes me feel good, then I'll never see the reality of the redemption of the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm still going to rely on my own ability and not on the manifestation of the power of the blood of Jesus. Amen. Jesus, in scripture, when you study, he shed all of his blood. There was no blood in his body. And there's life in the blood. The name of Jesus is the name above every name. And that is the power that you walk in. When you get that phone call, when you get depressed, when you get discouraged, call on the name of Jesus. Let that new covenant be the force and the power that you walk in. Amen? 
because it is the power that God gave us. So the Holy Spirit said that since the first tabernacle is standing, that has to die so that the new way can come forth. Verse 9, what does it say? It was symbolic. So everything in the Old Testament is wonderful, but everything in the Old Testament is symbolic, pointing to what Jesus was about to do. It shows the way. So we can learn from the old, but we always point to the new. I live by the new, and I learn from the old. But so many of us want to live in the old. We want to feel like I have to be worthy and earn something, and we're not living by the covenant. How can I win my neighbors to Jesus if I feel worthless? But if I'm living in the new covenant, knowing that I'm redeemed and forgiven in all of my garbage, I can still share Jesus with somebody next to me and give it away, saying, hey, I messed up too, and I'm still messing up. But man, Jesus made a way, and he's still working on me, and I'm not done yet. That's the message of the cross. But if people have to feel like we have to crawl through broken glass, listen, Jesus already did it. Praise the Lord. All we have to do is walk in this new covenant. That is symbolic for the present time, back then, in which both gifts and sacrifice are offered, which cannot make him, listen, cannot make him, which is you, who perform the service perfect in regard to your conscience. What does that mean? You can make the sacrifice and you can feel good in the moment, but it can't change you on the inside. Can't change you. So we can do all these works of the flesh, but if I'm not relying on the covenant, I'm going to walk away still feeling worthless. Some of us have been serving Jesus 1, 10, 12 years, it doesn't matter, and you may still feel worthless. It's because you're looking at the old covenant and trying to measure up instead of looking into who God says that you are. As you study the New Testament, I encourage you, find the new covenant. Get the new covenant within your heart. Look at places where they still tried to trickle in the law back into the church. If you read the, the letters of the churches, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Paul was constantly writing letters to the church. Stop bringing the law back to the church. Who told you you had to be circumcised? Who told you you couldn't eat of this kind of food? Who told you that? The enemy tries to trickle back religion to eliminate the power of the cross. Because the law is not the way anymore. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Thank God for the law when they didn't have Jesus and the power of the law was great back then. But we have the redemption of the power of Jesus Christ on our side. That means I'm an overcomer, amen. I'm victorious. So he said that's symbolic in that, right? It's symbolic, but it can't change your conscience. Verse 10 said, you're concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. So were all the ceremonials of the Old Testament wonderful? Absolutely. Yesterday, we came into the, in the evening of yesterday, I don't know the exact time, but in the evening, we entered into Passover. And it's a beautiful example. But I don't go out to my house and kill a lamb and put blood on my doorpost anymore. That's the outward expression. I'm coming to Jesus as a new creation by the blood of the lamb through Jesus Christ. And I wake up every day. I don't have to wait for the one-year Passover. I walk in that blood covenant every day of my life. When you send your children out to school or wherever, they walk in the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ. When you go to your job, you walk in the covenant. You have favor because God is on your side. God promotes you because God is on your side. If I had to measure to the world 
gold standard for success. Listen, this girl was a chatterbox, chatterbox, hated school. I would have looked like nothing. But God saw something in me greater than what the world saw. I didn't look like the world. I didn't line up to their, their look of success. But Jesus saw me. Jesus got a hold of me. And now I'm walking in the purpose of God because he came into my life. And I know the covenant of the cross. And I'm going to tell you, there are times in my journey in the last 32 years that the devil tried to knock me down. Tried to take me out. Things that took my breath away. Things that I had to walk through in darkness and depression and not, want, not knowing where God is at. But knowing my covenant. Knowing that there's nothing I can put my hand to to change the situation. Usually when I put my hand to something, I mess it up. Whenever I get involved, I make a wrong decision. But when I know the cross of Jesus Christ and I know the covenant that he made for me and knowing the word of God, I know that God's hand is on my life, amen, and on your lives your life also. So you're concerned with all these things until the time of reformation. Well, guess what? Jesus has come. It's the new covenant time. So now he's trying to teach them how to think a new way. Don't go back to the old way. I'm establishing a new way in your life. And so verse 11 said, all this was wonderful, but, everybody say but. Whenever you hear but, it eliminates everything before that. All that was good, but Jesus Christ and if you read another translation, it says, but now Christ, now Christ sits on the throne. He came as the high priest of the good things to come with the greater and the more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. What is he saying? I don't want you to do the things that were created of the flesh anymore. I'm coming in you to abide in you, to flow through you. That's not of this natural, but it's of the supernatural. There's a time where we as Christians, we're coming into a supernatural time in the kingdom of God. I was talking with our pastors and elders in first service, and I believe the world that we're living in, Christians have to know the covenant of the cross because we are coming close to a time where we are going to have to stand up for our faith. Because I'm telling you, the world and the devil is going to try to shut us down. The world is trying to tell the church what they can say and what they cannot say. There's a moderation coming that they're going to say, you better do this or you're fired. Or you better do this or you can't do that. The world's going to try to put on the church their, their, um, their boundaries. But if you know who you are in Christ and you stand in the covenant, you can stand up to Herod and say, no, I'm a child of the king. So if, if you make me do this and I can't express my faith because of this job, then God's on my side. That means if I'm supposed to be here, there's nothing you can do. You can't fire me if God don't let you. When the children of Israel had to bow down to the idol of Herod, everybody bowed down and they stood up. And they said, even if we die, we know who we serve. We will not bow our knee to the bullies of this world. And we're going to have to stand up and not bow our knee to compromise. Not bow our knee, but stand up into who you are. And if everybody else gets fired on the job, guess who's not? Me. Because I'm in covenant with God. And if they do fire me, something better is coming down the road. Because I have a covenant with Jesus. 
And he takes care of me. And his favor surrounds me as with a shield when you know that nothing can get you down. It might take your breath away for a second. But, boy, it might rattle you. But when you've done all to stand, I'm going to keep on standing. I'm not going to give up on Jesus. I'm not going to grow weary. I'm not going to get depressed. You'll, like, go into that matrix kind of like. Right? Throw it at me, devil, you know. You're, not just, you're just going to bat every attack of the enemy, and you're going to stand strong. Why? Because you have a revelation of the cross, my covenant. It's not just eternity in heaven, which is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. But I need some covenant walking power right now. I need some favor right now. I need my children to come to Jesus. I need my family members saved. I need my uncle healed of cancer. I need my grandma to be touched by the power of God. Do you know we are moving in a supernatural time? There was back in the day, and I forget his name, uh, the guy who prayed for people and cataracts would fall out on the ground. You remember his name? Wigglesworth. That's when revivals happened. He'd pray for people with cataracts and chunks of whatever cataract would fall out on the ground in front of them. Are we ready for this? I am so ready for this. But it's going to happen to a church who knows the covenant. That we're not playing religious games, trying to feel good and do all these traditions instead of connecting to the power of the cross. Amen. He says, so Christ came as the high priest of good things to come with greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of creation. Go ahead and go to the next verse. Not with the blood of goats and calves anymore. But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. He said, no longer is it your works of the flesh. My blood entered into that holy of place once and for all. Amen. Having obtained that eternal redemption. Keep going, sweetheart. For if the blood of bulls and goats... And the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean and satisfies for the purification of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. And what, what happens? Okay, they had the bull and the goats and all those. And there's, there's a cleansing. But remember verse 9, it couldn't cleanse your conscience. There was nothing happening inside. It's just a feel-good sacrifice. But through the blood of Jesus, the eternal sacrifice, what happens? He cleanses your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So the things that we're working, they're dead. But God cleanses me on the inside. I begin to find out who I am. I begin to find out that I've been made more than a conqueror and overcomer in Christ Jesus. I begin to let the word define who I am and not my upbringing and not my past. Why? Because he was an eternal living sacrifice that went into the holy of holies. He went into the gates of hell and took the keys of death and life from the devil. And he gave them to you. And he said, they are now yours to move in the kingdom. And yet there's still so many of us that just are trying to work our way to Jesus instead of really getting a revelation of the scriptures that we've been bought new with him, amen. God cleanses us of our conscience, amen. Okay, let's, what verse are we in? 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot 
to cleanse your conscience. Now remember that word offered. Jesus offered himself. That word offered means two different things. One is in, in the New Testament, they would bring people towards Jesus. So all through scripture, they would offer uh, the sick and the lame. They were bringing them to Jesus. So it was a, an offering to Jesus. This particular one, it is, an, it is an actual offering sacrifice, a gift. So Jesus gave a gift. The Bible says that no man took his life. He laid it down. And that was hard for him because you remember the Garden of Gethsemane. He just wanted to do the will of the Father. But it was hard for him. Why? Because it was going to separate him from a moment from the Father that he loved when the sin came on him. Because no sin can glory in the presence of God. So when our sin came upon him, his father turned his back on him. Because he said, Eli, Eli, Shabbatani, my God, my God, where are you? He knew the pain. He lived for his father. And yet at that moment when our sin came on him, he took it on, the Bible says, willingly. Nobody had to wrestle him to the ground. He said, I'm a sacrifice for this new covenant. So that all the shame, all the fear, all the mistakes, Jesus took it on already. As we come into Easter next week, you have to get that revelation. And it's the free gift that we have to receive from Jesus. All right. So he, he offered himself, verse 15, and for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Say mediator. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Of a new covenant by means of death. There has to be the death. Like, remember the death of the old temple? For the new to make way has to be the death of a man and the blood to make new for the new covenant. By means of death, for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Now, what I want you to understand, that we were talking about the earthly covenant, right, or the earthly tabernacle. Then we went into the heavenly tabernacle, which is we are now the inhabitants of Christ. You are the tabernacle of God. In that was the Mosaic covenant. In the Old Testament. Now, the Mosaic Covenant was powerful. But Jesus now brought the New Covenant. But in the Mosaic Covenant, it was this. It brought a temporal relief. This is the Mosaic Covenant of the sacrifice of animals. A temporal relief to a man's guilt. Temporal relief. So when we do things religiously, it's temporal. Because it's not the internal working of Christ. And it demonstrates the lessons of God's justice. Justice is just as if I never sinned. That's God's justice, right? So that was that covenant. In the Old Testament, there was the sacrifice of animals. And if you study it, it's actually a bond with the animals. And one thing that they would do is when they were going to make a, uh, maybe an exchange of land or a promise with one another, back in that day, they would sacrifice an animal, they would shed the blood, and the two people would walk through the blood. And what it would happen is if Mike, I was in covenant with Mike, exchange of, I want a lot of camels from you, okay? So I just got a lot of camels from Mike. And we shed, a, we shed some blood here with an animal. I would walk this way and he would walk that way. We would cross each other and we would come back and we'd meet back together, which is the eight, the sign of the covenant. And so we would make that through the blood. So there was a bonding with the animal's blood for the covenant, right? So when you come into the new covenant, you're bonding not to an animal any longer, but the eternal covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And, and like scripture said, if that animal blood was so powerful, how much more the son of God, the father, that blood, amen, that is living and powerful. So they'd make this covenant. Um, and when they would go into the Old Testament, they would have to annually go into the tabernacle. Well, one thing that as I studied out, that one of the ways they would make covenant is with a shoe. And some of the scriptures, I'll share it with you. But in the Old Testament, what I want you to see when we lived under the first covenant, right? The second covenant is in Christ. The first covenant is the law and the animals and the, and the bloods and all that. But when they would make the covenant with animal, they had to put off. So there's a taking off. There's a work, a work of the flesh. So if you look at scripture, when Moses had an encounter with God, God walked up to him and says, Moses, take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. Right? I think that happened with Joshua also. There's a taking off. When Ruth was coming into covenant, there was an exchange of a shoe. Right? There was exchange of that, that, that shoe. In Psalms, when there was a tossing of the sandal at Edom, so there was something very symbolic, but what we see in the Old Covenant was we had to constantly take things off, right? So this is what I studied this week. By removing a shoe in the ancient Middle East, a person can be seen to be offering vulnerability, putting themselves at the mercy of the recipient, and it is a statement of trust and submission, so there is this works that I'm taking this off through this blood covenant and I'm giving it to you as a sign of I trust you and I submit to the word that we're speaking about, which is awesome. But when you come into the new covenant, it changes. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. I want us to look at Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. This is so powerful. And I want you to get this revelation. It says, the people walking in darkness has seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For as in the day of Midian's defeat. Now Midian is the enemy. I want you to see that here. Midian was defeated. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them. So when the enemy is defeated in your life, which he has been when Jesus rose from the dead, the yoke of bondage was shattered off of you. Listen, the law... And the works of the flesh puts a yoke on us. It puts us in bondage. I've got to do all this to be saved. I can't give my life to Jesus because i got all these rules and regulations. Right? And so now I'm trying to live to serve Jesus with this yoke that I'm not called to live under. Because Jesus paid the price. But we have to come to Jesus as we are. I come to him in my brokenness, in my shame, in my failure. And when I do, the enemy is defeated and the yoke of the world is broken off of my life. Addiction, fear, pornography, whatever it is, divorce, whatever it is in your life that the enemy uses when you come to Jesus, not religion, not a good church service. I'm saying coming into Jesus surrendering your life to him, he breaks that yoke off your shoulders. Thank you, Jesus. The bar across your shoulders and the rod of the oppressor. When we're not feeling good about ourselves, what does the devil do? You're worthless. You're good for nothing. You'll never really serve God. You'll never have a happy marriage. You'll never feel beautiful. What is that? That's the rod of the oppressor. And he oppresses believers and he makes you feel like you're nothing so you'll never rise up and be the church of Jesus Christ. In the covenant, 
Amen? Not in my own ability. I'll tell you something too. Smith Wigglesworth was not a perfect man. But God used him because he understood the covenant. Amen? God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for people who understand the covenant. Look in scripture. Look through all the crazy disciples that Jesus chose. They all had problems. And some weird ones. I mean, John the Baptist in the wilderness eating locusts, that's weird. Clothes inside out, that's weird. Imagine, Pastor Paul ends up in the desert eating locusts. A leader in the church, that's what it was. He was weird, but God saw him. God used him to baptize his son. God sees people like that, amen. God sees you. And so, all right, so he takes the, ba- the, the bars off, right? Keep going. Every warrior, okay, uh, okay, listen to this. Once the enemy is defeated, every warrior's boot used in battle, we're talking about shoes, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. What does that mean? I'm facing some stuff in my life, like the enemy's coming against me. But I come into Jesus, and God defeats the enemy, what does that mean? The enemy has to now give me all of their boots. So the Mennonites were stripped of their ability to have any warfare against me anymore. Because you can't fight without your boots. You can't fight running around naked, everybody. You kind of get hu- humiliated. You lose your power for battle. They were stripped of their authority to fight anymore. Anything that gave him them right and privilege was burned by fire. When the enemy comes against you, everything he has has already been burned by fire. It's been covered by the blood of the lamb. He has been stripped from his authority over your life. Yet we let this bootless, worthless enemy try to bully us to run away from the covenant of Jesus Christ. Even the Bible says that when the devil is exposed in in the last day, that the world will look on and say, that is what defeated me? That's what made me lose my joy. That's what stole my peace because he's so defeated. The only weapon he can use to make you feel like you really don't have that covenant. And what's in here really doesn't work or matter for you. And trickle in the law back into our life. So we're performing, but we're not walking in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So They burned them with fire. Now, what I want you to see is taking a warrior's boots and burning them is pretty much a, I love saying this word, coup (laughs) d'etat. It's a coup d'etat. It means I strip them of their authority. It's pretty hard to come back from that, isn't it? It's a resounding victory for the boot burner, and it's a crushing defeat for the barefooted enemy. Isn't that good? This rich, this passage also speaks of Yeshua's, excuse me, Yeshua's complete triumph and contrasting powerlessness of the enemy. Isn't that good? In Genesis, in the old covenant, or in the beginning, Genesis 128, I've given you all dominion and all power and authority. And then it was stripped and then came the law. But then if you go back to Psalms 8, 6, now in the new covenant, or it's prophesying of the new covenant, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have made, again, he's prophesying, I'm going to give you dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under my feet. You've been given back dominion and authority that was stripped from you. But you're still living in that wilderness experience. 
still wandering around not feeling worth, not feeling worthy of God's blessing. God says, I gave you back dominion and power. So everything you're facing is under your feet. Why? Because I'm seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Amen. And that's where Jesus is today. So let's look at this really quickly. Okay, I want to go, in, I want to go into um, the New Testament really quick. I have just a couple minutes. In the Old Testament, remember, we had to put off. And the Old Testament is constantly sacrificing. If you look in the New Testament, it is always putting on. Why? Because the old was the works of the flesh. In the new covenant, I'm stepping up to who I am in Christ Jesus. I'm putting on now who God says that I am. Ephesians 6, right, 13 says to put on the full armor of God that I may be able to resist the enemy. I'm no longer taking off. It's no longer sacrifices once I've met the cross. I'm putting on who I am in Christ Jesus. And he said part of the armor is my feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That means I'm putting on my boots every day. I'm putting on my walking shoes. You have to do something. Now I'm putting on the image of Jesus. When all hell breaks loose, I can stand up and say, I'm made in the image of Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm victorious. I'm an overcomer. Why? Because I've already got my boots of preparation on every day. I'm ready for battle. I'm ready for the fight. I'm not running around barefoot, feeling worthless, feeling like I'm beneath, like I'm underneath, like I'm defeated. I may feel like it, but I'm going to put on my stature every day that my feet are shod with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm ready. Whatever the enemy wants to bring my way, I am ready for battle. Amen. That putting on your feet means I'm standing. I'm defending. I'm ready to fight and take action. Some of us just bend with every discouragement the world brings. And we need to get some, some like fire on the inside of us. And do what Ephesians says, when I've done all to stand, I'm going to keep on standing. And I'm not going to be moved. And I'm not going to lose my place. And I'm not going to go backwards. I'm going to keep standing in this battle. Why? Because God says, I am the victor. And the shot, your feet are shod with peace. So even though all hell is going on, when I got my, I put on who I am in Christ Jesus. Amen. I walk in the peace of God until the enemy has to flee in a hundred directions. God, I believe God chose footwear to represent our readiness. Are we ready to step into this new covenant? Amen. Really quick, Acts chapter 12. And I have so much more, but I'm going to close with this. Acts chapter 12 says this. And Peter, therefore, I actually, I think I'm in verse 7. Did you get the, thank you, sweetheart. But Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant in prayer, right? He's bound in prison, but he's still praying. I was offered to God for faith by, for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guard before the doors were keeping the prison. Peter was in an impossible situation. That he needed a miracle from God. He needed supernatural, not natural. Verse 7, now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and, said, and raised him up, saying, arise quickly. And what happened? His chains fell off. If you need chains to fall off, it's not to sit there and beg God for a miracle. Peter had to get up. He had to get up. He had to step up into who he was. And when he stepped up, the chains fell down. 
And so many of us, and listen, me included, we want, we're laying there with the chains. Oh, God. And God's like, no, 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 rise up in who I've called you to be. You're my son. You're the righteousness. You've been bought by the blood of the lamb. Rise up, man of God. Rise up, woman of God. We don't understand. I've been in this dark prison, and I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. Join the club. Join the club. You just nudge somebody next to you. We all have been there. You might even be there right now. And no more can we play games. Rise up. Rise up. Be who God's called you to be. Take that assignment of God. Amen. Put on our, our boots of Jesus Christ. I was going to say something else, but I'm going to behave myself. Right? So he said, rise up. Chains fell down. And the angel said to him, what? Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. Put on those shoes. It's not a time to take off. It's not a time to mourn, Peter. It's not a time to go find an animal to sacrifice. We don't have time for that. It's already done. Now just step up, put your shoes on, grab your garment, and let's go. And Peter did it. He got up. He put on his shoes. He grabbed his, his garment. He did what the angel told him to do. What was he on his way for? He was on his way to the miracle. If he'd have never put his shoes on and been ready, he'd have stayed in the natural. But he put on his shoes, and he followed that angel right out the door. He was with guards on each side. There was a guard at his cell and a guard at the gate. But he got up anyway. He didn't look at the impossibilities. He did what he was told to do. Okay, verse, he said, uh, angel said to him, gird yourselves, tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Have you ever felt like when you stepped up to trust God, you're like, is this going to happen, God? Is this miracle really going to happen? Is this real? Am I really going to be changed? Is my life really going to be different? Am I really going to have a happy marriage? You don't know yet. All you know is you got your shoes on and I'm following Jesus. I know the covenant, and I'm standing up, and I know what God said. I don't see it yet, but I'm still going to trust Jesus. He didn't know the angel was real. thought it was a vision. When they were past the first guard, they got through, and then the second guard, they got through, and they came to the iron gate that leads to the city. It was one more miracle. What happened? The gates opened up to them. Iron gates, things that seem shut, things that seem impossible. Well, I got through that, I got through that, but man, this is a hard one, God. When you are in Jesus and you know your covenant, the gates will open up and you will walk right through them. But if Peter would have never put his shoes on, and if he never put his garment on, that was symbolic of the covenant. He'd have never seen the miracle. So the supernatural happened, but it never would have happened if he wouldn't have done the natural. Get up. We need some miracles, amen. Let's get up. Let's get up. Remind ourselves who we are in Christ Jesus because that miracle will bring you to freedom. Everybody say freedom. Okay, I promise you, these are the last two verses I'm closing with. I have so much, but I have to close with this Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8. Now, when I opened up, I opened up at Hebrews 9. Remember the, the, the earthly tabernacle? Now, I presented the, the spiritual tabernacle, which is you, Jesus in you. We're going to go just verses before that. It says this. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, talking about Jesus, inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, 
which was established on better promises. Isn't that good? There's something great about the old, but there's something better that Jesus brought. This is where it gets powerful. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. What does that mean? This old covenant was good, but it had problems. It was fault. It had faults. They couldn't get into God's presence. They couldn't have relationship with him. They couldn't walk by grace. It was fine for the moment, but it had problems. Verse 8, because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now verse 13, in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete. Obsolete. Remember, the first covenant has to go away. There, and it's okay to look back at it. It's okay to reflect in it. But if it becomes our value system, we have ne negated the cross of Jesus Christ. And looking back in just the ceremonies and the religious things, and again, it's beautiful, but it can become sacrilegious if we forget that it's really pointing to the new covenant, the cross. Why? Because Jesus came and he made the old law obsolete. What does that mean? It actually goes away. It goes away. This Old Testament is beautiful, but it is just the, the inward, outward expression of the inward working of Christ today. I can't go back to the law and fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled it. Jesus didn't abolish it because God created the law. It was beautiful, so he couldn't abolish something God created, but he fulfilled it. So I don't have to do that anymore. I get to come to the throne of grace. Thank you, Jesus, because I need that grace. So it, be it became obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. God wants those old things to vanish away, amen, in the new covenant of the cross. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, I thank you today for this amazing church, God. I thank you for their hunger for the word. And, Lord, I know this is your message for the hour, that you're wanting your church to rise up in power and in demonstration, God. And we do that through the power of the cross. God, I thank you. I thank you that we walk in your power. And any place, God, where someone feels the yoke of bondage, that yoke of the enemy, Father, we just call it to be broken right now in the name of Jesus. The bondage, the captivity, that rod. I just see some of you just has that rod that the enemy keeps hitting you with, that you're not good enough and you're worthless and you're a failure. And you just need to turn to that thing and just rise up in Jesus. Rise up as the prophet and priest of your home and your life. And, and the Lord will, I just hear the Lord saying to men right now that God will call you. God will equip you. He's already anointed you. And, and don't feel like you're worthless and beneath. I hear the Lord say, it's almost like you need to come out like a roaring lion and just tell that rod, tell the enemy enough, no more. It's my family. It's my life. I'm going to serve Jesus. I, I just see like a boldness rising up in the hearts of men to just take your place, even though you may not feel like you're worthy of it. You are called to it because of the covenant. And God, I just thank you for that today. Let your grace and mercy just reign through this place, that this church will have a revelation, Jesus. Give us a revelation of the covenant of the cross. 
that Jesus, your word says to put our hand to the plow and not look back, God. That's what your word says. And I thank you that we are going to look forward, every one of them look forward to their new days, their great days ahead, Father God. I want to ask everyone here this morning that needs to make things right with Jesus. Maybe you're coming back. Maybe you're getting some of things under the cross, whatever in, in your heart. It doesn't matter. It's between you and the Lord. And maybe you're here for the first time online or in this room coming to Jesus. We've all been here. We've all made this confession of the free gift of Jesus. His gift is free. All you have to do is say yes. So I want everyone to repeat, repeat this after me. Say, dear Jesus, I'm asking you, come into my heart come into my life. Say, Father God, remove any religious ways where I am performing by works. And I receive your grace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. God has so much in store for you. Amen. And don't forget next Sunday's Easter Sunday. Invite a friend. Invite a family member. Let's fill this place with the law so they can receive the message of Jesus. Amen. I love you all so much. Have a wonderful day. We'll welcome Pastor Paul back.